0: Then Zophar the Namathite answered Job and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock shall no one shame you? For you say my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than shale. what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons a court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands towards him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. His darkness will be like the morning and you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will call your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them and their hope is to breathe the last. Then Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tent of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand." But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, Job. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words and the palate taste food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in lengths of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tempts, tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him a strength and sound wisdom, the deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their, cloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of the darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste." They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Behold, my eyes have seen this all. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. I will stop there. Uh, please keep that open. Um, we're in this... These chapters of Job—it's uh, a conversation you can hear that, can't you, between him and uh, some other people? In this case, so far, um, I've got a question for you though uh, to start us off. It's here on the screen. Is there any hope in death? Is there any hope in death? It's the question we ask, isn't it, when we're on our deathbed? It's a question that is begging when people we know suffer or we grieve the loss of loved ones. But it's not just a question for then. It's a question for now. Is there any hope in death? Sure, we may try to escape and avoid the issue for now, but we will never escape death. Which is why this book of the Bible is so important. Is honesty uh, and the way it presents suffering and grief and those harrowing questions that that throws up are the questions like is there any hope in death and it gives us answers to that question and uh, we're going to hear what job's answer to that question is a bit later on today uh, but actually we've been seeing that the voice of reason in this whole scene in this setup, is actually the one who is going through the darkest of times. The one who is on the the pit of despair. The one who is uh, completely bankrupt of everything. Other than just narrowly hanging on to his life. And we've seen that he is actually the voice of reason here. Not the friends. Job is the one going through the darkness. And yet because he fears God rightly... He is clear thinking, however hysterical he may be or sound. Perhaps you've got a bit of a flavour for that in what he just said there. His friends, Job's friends, and uh, these guys here, present, represent the world's wisdom. Which at its very worst is a religious sounding wisdom. At its very worst is a religious sounding wisdom claims about what God is like and it ties every particular suffering in this world to God's personal judgment on people. Perhaps you've heard that before. God pays debts for that money. That person had it coming to them. The kind of thing where people say, God, these are direct and personal judgments when people suffer. Even if it's cancer or even if it's A complete tragedy God is that's God's judgment well that's what the friends are saying and we've said haven't we that Job is the voice of reason and we heard a bit of that there and to the friends and to many today the inescapable moral order of this universe is is, if it's governed by a good God there can only be a straight line between suffering and judgment in this view, they can only be, it's exactly the same thing. Suffering is a direct judgment from God. That's, that's what people, that's what Job's friends are saying. Because they say that God is morally good and it's inescapable, that's, this is their conclusion. He pays people back. But is that really what God is like? Is that really what God is like? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Um, More than doubt has already been cast on these guys' conclusion about Job because three times we've been told that Job is blameless. That doesn't mean he's sinless, but because he's trusting in the sacrifice to make him right with God, God's judgment for sin won't come on on Job. Not now, and not ever. The friends are saying that that that's what God is doing, that God is judging Job. All of the Tragedies, all of the things that have come upon Job and the ones that he loves are all God's judgment to them. Um, taking a bit of a step back, it's worth seeing that wisdom is what both people are claiming here. Um, if you look down with me at uh, verse 5, But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, Job, and that he would teach you the secrets of wisdom. And then when Job answers, he says in verse uh, 12, verse uh, 1, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. What both parties are claiming is that they are the wise ones. They know. And the other ones don't. This emerges as the big theme and the big battle in 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 this book of Job. Um, If you want to just flick in your Bibles to chapter 28. And someone can give me a page number for that. Two, three, uh, four, three, five. Okay. Uh, It's chapter 28 and Job continues, where is wisdom? Our whole chapter is Job saying, well, we can dig mines, we can extract ore from the, from, the, from the crust of the earth, we can find all of these precious stones, we can get everything else in life but can we do can we get wisdom can we sort of search it out and find it and yet at the end he says in verse 28 28, 28 and this could well be the theme of, of this whole book Job said to man, uh, God said to man behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And just to show you that we've been flagged that up already. Go back to chapter 1 verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job and that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil so Job Job is the wise one everything that he knows about God is true and these other people were claiming wisdom that they are the wise ones that they've got the claim on God. They've got the monopoly on wisdom. And Job calls them out. For the system that they are pushing, this whole uh, X equals X and Y equals Y, you know, it, must mean, it must mean the same. Sorry, X equals Y, whatever. Um, he he challenges them chan- this on it. He calls them out. And um, So today we're going to hear from Job. And he is the troubled yet true believer. And we're going to take our question to what he says. Is there any hope in death? It's a question that we we want an answer for, isn't it? Sitting here today. I mean, it's a big question of life, isn't it? Is there any hope in death? So um, we're going to listen to him. He journeys through the despair and misery that he feels he doesn't deny it he doesn't pretend it's not there but he arrives at his hope in death the only certainty that he will not face God's judgment when he dies and so we're going to look at that together Um, first of all then let's look at Zophar's attack on Job Zophar attacks Job in chapter 11 In verse 4, you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes, but oh that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. So far, speech is a bit like the sort of triple distilled whiskey. It's it's so punchy. It's like the punch, the the strap line. If this was a manifesto, it'd be the strap line. He doesn't even go into long, lengthy speeches. He just says it, comes out with it like that. And because it's so sort of direct and concise, we can see two things. Firstly, we can see that this worldview, this way of seeing God, has no empathy. For the sufferer. And then on the other side, we can see that it shuts down Job's honest questions. Um, The first one, then, no empathy for the sufferer. Verse 6 so far, in effect, says, um, You deserve worse. Can you imagine being in front of this man who's lost all his ten children, everything he owns? And you're saying, "No, this, Job, you deserve worse. But that is the astonishing lack of empathy that this worldview, this way of seeing God produces. Because in their mind, it's true. God is is treating you as you deserve. This has happened to you because God is judging you. And it's just so lacking in empathy. You see you see that when when Job comes back to Zophar and he says in verse five of chapter twelve, in the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt, hatred for misfortune, anger towards it, towards those who are suffering. Attacking them. It's hard to miss that Zophar is furious with Job. He says, How can Job still maintain that he is pure and clean? What a joke he is. He's clearly under God's judgment. Job, give it a break. You think this is bad? You deserve much, much worse. Much, much more. And why does Job persist with all his questions? That's what um, Zophar says. He says uh, in verses 7 to 12, he effectively says, Why are you asking all these questions? Why ask, is there any hope in death? Why ask, why is this happening to me? It just makes you a fool, Job that's what he says uh, verse 12 but a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's wild donkey's cult is born a man Job, he's calling Job a, a fool a stupid man for all these questions can you find out what can you do what can you know he says that he, these questions you, you might as well not ask them Job um, and religion does that it crushes the hurting it silences Those who are hurting. Because they're not allowed to ask, why is this happening to me? They're not allowed to ask anything about their suffering. We hear it here, don't we? So far we're saying, your questions in themselves show you to be a fool, Job. And in verses 13 to 20, he finishes up by saying, repent. Repent. We've heard that before, haven't we, in, in, in the friend's speeches. In verses 13 to 20, he says, If you prepare your heart, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, then God will lift you up. You will be secure and not fear. You'll forget your misery and everything will be better. But essentially, it's repent, Job. You have to repent because you've done wrong. So, so far, attacks Job with his way of seeing God. A morally good God, inescapable moral order. You're suffering. That means that God is judging you, and it's cruel. It's cruel, isn't it? We're going to see uh, most of our time, though, in chapters eleven to, uh, sorry, twelve to fourteen. Uh, so let's turn to that now. Job attacks the system, and um, he starts off doing that in chapter twelve. First of all, he says, Your system is cruel and it is shallow. And so he says in verse 5, we've already looked at that, In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune, is ready for those whose feet slip. And in this section from verse 7 down to 12, um, Job is basically parodying what the friends have said. It's not that you, every time he says you in those verses, it's a single you. And so Job is saying, This is what you're telling me. Ask the beasts, ask the birds, ask the bushes, ask the fish. All of them know that God has done this. God is in control, so this is happening to you for a reason. He's judging you. And then he says this. um, Your God is too tame. In verses 13 to 25, we'll read them together. Um, Actually, I've already read them, so you remember what I said. Um, he says your God is too tame because the way what Job has seen and experienced is that God can just take stuff away he has the power and the might to do that and that makes him slightly frightening and if there's this God who's just a bit too we can just figure him out and we can just say oh yeah that's exactly what God's doing that's exactly what God's doing we we probably got God wrong So Job is saying, your God is too tame. Have you not seen what he is capable of? And then in verses uh, 1 to 12 of chapter 13, Job says, God will expose you. God will expose you to be false. Do we read that together? Um, Just after he says, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. Verse 4, we haven't read it yet. As for you, you whitewash you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you. If in secret you show partiality, will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes, your defences are defences of clay. The system that you're pushing for, that you believe, is cruel, is shallow, is God is too tame. And he will, the real God, the true God, the one who, can, who knows all things, will expose you. That's what Job says. So he takes it to them, doesn't he? He attacks them um, up front. But that's not all he does. Okay? He's just said, hasn't he, in verse um, 3 of chapter 13, But I would speak to the Almighty. And I desire to argue my case with God. And that's what Job does. So he doesn't just spend all his time just attacking them and saying well, how they are gone and what will happen to them. In verse 13 onwards of chapter 13 all the way through to the end of 14. He brings his case to God. Should we look at that together? Job takes his case to God. In the first part of Job's complaint to God, Job expresses his misery at mortality. He... Expresses despair at death. He vocalizes that. Um, if you look down in um, uh, verses chapter fourteen, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Um, verse seven: For there is hope for a tree if it be cut down; it will sprout again, and its shoots will not cease. And then all the way down to ten. But a man dies and is laid low. man breathes his last and where is he? So Job's expressing his misery and his grief and his despair at death. It's pretty refreshing, isn't it, in some ways, to have someone honestly say that. Because death is awful. I mean, we know that, don't we? It's a horror. I mean, has anyone ever sort of stood over a grave and felt joy or felt peace or felt hope? No. When you you bury those that you love, you're not doing it with a smile on your face. You're doing it with floods of tears. And to hear someone who's refreshing about the misery of mortality, the, the despair that death brings, it's just, it's just helpful, isn't it? And that's where Job starts in his complaint to God. Um, he actually asks God in two, uh, two things um, at the end of chapter 13. So let's look at them in verse 20, 13 verse 20. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. So Job on one side of things wants God to remove his hand from him because God is causing this. And on the other side he wants God to answer him. He's going to ask God. He wants an answer. Reply. Speak. and you rep- uh, Let me speak and you reply to me. Make me know my transgression and my sin. And then he says, uh, he does the mortality is miserable, death makes us despair. And we're just going to finish up here because it answers our question about hope. What hope do we have in death? And we're going to look at this in a little bit more detail. Um, so if you look down with me at verse 13, or chapter 14, sorry, chapter, verse 14, I should say 14. Verse 14 of chapter 14. And we'll just read down to verse 17. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag. And you would cover over my iniquity. Here, Job asks the question if a man dies, shall he live again? And where Job ends up through the despair, through the misery, is the hope of resurrection. That's where he ends up. Because he says, um, I would wait till my renewal would come. You would call and I would answer you. And if you can raise the dead, God, and if you raise me after I've died, then I know that you're not going to hold my sin against me. If I have assurance that you can raise the dead, then I know, in verses 16 and 17, you would not keep watch over my sin, my transgression would be sealed up in a bag, and you would cover over my iniquity. He's talking about his sin. If we could have assurance that there is a resurrection, that God raises the dead, we would know that God will not hold our sin against us. Well, that's what Job is saying. The New Testament echoes this mourning with hope, this grieving with hope. Um, Let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 together. Um, It says... Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Job's hope is that God raises the dead, that God will raise him after death. That even though this life might be just full to the brim. All of his days might be full of grief and despair and suffering. That when he lays his head. And he breathes his last. That that is not the end. That God will raise him to life. And because Job knows that. He can know that his sins are forgiven. That God will not finally bring judgment on him. Because actually the final sting of, de- of death. Is not just stopping our physical lives is facing God's wrath the sting of death is is judgment facing God's judgment and we tend not to think about that do we we tend to think um, oh I'm just going to try and avoid dying today we don't realize there's something worse than death and it's God's judgment And Job goes on to say in verses uh, 18 to 22, just his final verses. He says, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. Shall we read them together, verses 18 to 22? He talks about things that everything, even if it looks immovable, everything gets worn away. Everything disappears, comes to nothing. Let's read them together. The mountain falls and crumbles away, and the rock is removed from its place. The waters wear away away the stones. The torrents wash away the soil. So you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. He feels only the pain of his own body, and he mourns only for himself. This is the way of the, the, the world we live in everything however permanent however immovable it looks now the chair you're sitting on the metal it was cast from the gold filling in your mouth everything will just get worn away eventually it might look immovable and firm and permanent but it's not Job says everything is transitory temporary and it all ends in death and so without the resurrection there is no hope (laughs) and that's where he ends his speech without the resurrection there is no hope (sighs) have a think about that if you're not a Christian have a think about that because that is the world we're living in that is the effect of our lives it comes to nothing And if there is no resurrection, then it's something worse than death. We're going to face God's judgment. And yet because Jesus has been raised to life, because Jesus went to death for us on the cross, our sins need not uh, uh, bring on God's judgment forever. If you're a believer, it's comforting, isn't it? See that Job mourns, he grieves, and he does express the full weight of misery and death. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, oh yeah, it's filled, great. Don't worry about me, it's all okay. He says, this is awful, this is horrible. And he says that to God. And yet, somehow, through all that death and misery and despair, Job is driven back to his one living hope that God can raise the dead. And not just that he can, but that he has raised the dead. For three days, Jesus' body lay lifeless in the tomb, and on the third day he arose... And like Job, Jesus' resurrection is your, if you're a Christian here today, assurance. Your assurance that God will not hold your sin against you. If you're an unbeliever, is there any hope in death? There is. Jesus. The only one who has come back from the dead. If you're in the midst of the darkness of death and mortality in your life, or if, like me, let's be honest, (laughs) you don't think much on the brevity of your life, because why would you? Why would you think about that? Let's watch tennis. It's a good distraction, by the way. Fit, healthy people throwing themselves around the court. Why would you think on the brevity of life when you've got Wimbledon? But even if, like me, you're not really thinking about it, Jesus is the hope you need. Because you will not escape death. You can escape the questions about death. But you will not escape death. And there is no hope in death but the resurrection. But Jesus. God's judgment for sin really is the final sting of death. And it is also what caused it in the first place. Jesus, unlike Job, did not just feel God forsaken. He was forsaken by God at the cross that we might not face his judgment not now not ever that's got to be worth thinking about hasn't it that's got to be worth investing your life in thinking about hasn't it (laughs) and going back to Zophar human religion is man made religion is a horror it's a horror because it lacks empathy or compassion for those who are really suffering It makes matters worse for those who are really suffering. It heaps guilt onto grief. It puts blame onto bereavement. God is judging you. Why should I help you? The person in the the wheelchair, they've been reincarnated and that is what has been chosen because of what has happened in their previous life. Why help the person who is suffering? whose life is hard if you believe in reincarnation if you believe in Islam why um, ask God any questions because God wills it but, but what about God wills it but, but, but it feels like God wills it every question is just shut down and if you're one of those who is being deceived by that way of thinking about God or you're one of those who is deceiving others. You won't be able to see it. And my prayer for you would be that Jesus' words, that you would be humble enough to hear from Jesus, that God would make you humble to hear from him. Because if the friends, all the time the friend, uh, Je- Job is saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen," but it falls on deaf ears. And I could say it all day long John blue in the face. You're not going to hear it from me. But if God humbles you to see, to hear Jesus' words, then you will know that he's speaking the truth. And so my prayer would be that you would hear the words of Jesus that exposes the bankruptcy of human religion, exposes the cruelty of human religion, exposes the hypocrisy of human religion, because it claims that we're good at the good and we're not. It claims that we can be good enough for God and we can't. What a horrible thing. What an oppressive thing. What an enslaving thing to lie to to give people. We can't be good enough for God on our own. We need a saviour. And the God is too tame. The true God is far more powerful and his wisdom is frightening. He can flip everything on his head in a moment. And he is against those who speak wrongly of him. So why don't we pray. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that there is a hope in death thank you that because you raised the dead because you raised Jesus from the dead from the de- from dead that we can be raised from the dead too and that we need not face your judgment thank you for that hope for Job as he was in the pit of despair that that was a glimmer the light that shone through and though we're not in his position we're not those who are on our knees down and out we pray that that same glimmer of light would be something that we would see that we would pay attention to that our lives would not just be this endless cycle of just ignoring death (laughs) and trying to avoid it trying not to think about it trying to fill our minds with other things we pray that we would be those who would deal with these big questions and allow you to speak into them for your glory Uh, So that people we know would also have a hope uh, to cling to. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.